You know, the most beautiful part about that is God's faithfulness and his goodness is not conditional. It is irrelevant to the current situation, regardless of what we face today. God's goodness has already been settled. His faithfulness has already been settled. And he has promised that he would be with us and provide for us in everything that we face. And that will never, ever change. So we celebrate that. It is a blessing to be here with you, but it is also a blessing to say that I just got to spend the last eight days with nine very different individuals. And talking about the team that we brought, there are actually 10. I don't include myself as being different because I'm normal. Um, but we served, we served an entirely different people group. And I do celebrate the diversity and even believe that God put together the perfect blend of diversity to accomplish what he had in store for us. And there were many accomplishments. Uh, so I, I heard Jerry say it already, but I want to just let you know that on Wednesday night, you're going to hear a lot more if you want to come back on Wednesday night about that trip. Um, part of the reason we want to do this is the work that was done by the 10 people that were there was not just the work of 10 people, but the work of the entire body of Christ. Those who prayed, those who gave money, those who willingly offered to serve, thank you for being willing to do that. That made it possible for us to go. I know that uh, Tom shared last Sunday morning, what a blessing it is for a pastor to know that I can go out of town and know that you're still in good hands. Josh served Wednesday night and taught for me. And in fact, just to let you know, he even offered to preach for me again this morning. But I was eager to be back in the pulpit to be able to share stuff. So thank you all for your willingness to serve and to be a part of, of allowing us to go. Even Monday morning meal with Mike that Jerry was promoting earlier, I was told there were six people who showed up to that. They knew I wasn't even going to be there, which was wonderful. And it was a blessing just to know that so many people do play a role. Speaking of playing a role and helping us go, I do want to give you an update. Two weeks ago, we did a fundraiser that was intended uh, to help raise enough money to send the team on that trip. Um, I will just tell you, first of all, you knew already because I told you in the service that morning that we had already reached our goal. But some of you may have also caught that when Jerry was sharing in the announcements, he talked about the fact that our faith promise giving was still in need. We were about $3,000 short at the time. We raised enough money for our mission trip to not only pay for the mission trip, but also to meet the deficit so that our faith promise goal has also been met. Thank you for your faithfulness and generosity. In fact, I will tell you that we will surpass our faith promise goal for this year, and that is because of God's blessing and your obedience. So I am very, very grateful for that. And it is a privilege to be able to share that. You know, so often the pastor stands up in the pulpit and he tells you about needs. And, you know, if we only had a little bit more money, we could do this. It's nice to be on the other side of it where I get to tell you God has already provided the need and we simply get to celebrate his provision that is there. Um, I realize that different cultures bring different behaviors but I was amazed by the passion and the hunger which most accurately identified the church in Costa Rica. 
There was genuinely an expectation that God was going to show up for every service that they had. Obviously, I told you that, actually, I don't know if I did tell you. Thursday night, we had a service. I heard Daly mention she was playing, uh, she and uh, Lee participated in a worship service. Thursday night, we had a service in a town called Turrialba, and there were a group of people that were in church on Sunday, and they had no walls up other than a back wall and then a wall that went about head high, and that was it. And then they had posts everywhere else holding up a roof. By the time they came Thursday night, there were walls up, there were doors up, there were windows up, and God had blessed to provide all of that in a very, very short period of time. Can you imagine how excited those people were when they showed up to church on Thursday night? To see the change that had taken place, the pastor told us that he expected about 50 people to show up that night. Almost 100 people showed up that night. Because they were excited to see what God was doing. Now, I understand that if you were here on a Sunday and there were no walls and we told you, come back on Thursday and you'll see the walls, probably a big number would come out. There's a sense of excitement with that. But it goes beyond the idea that there was something being done for them. They genuinely expected God to be present. When the people began to speak of the Holy Spirit and his power to cleanse and to heal, there was a sense of excitement, truly believing that it was real and not just something that is hypothetical that the pastor might talk about. A great example of this is found in an accident that occurred while we were there this week. One of our Costa Rican friends who was working alongside us had fallen off a ladder, landing on a pile of metal, and he was significantly injured. And the very first thought of the Costa Rican pastor was that we need to pray because he believed that God was our greatest hope and our first thought as opposed to our last resort. Oh, how I pray that our church would begin to develop that kind of heart that we would truly seek God before we do everything else, that we would anticipate his moving and be willing to move with him. I do believe we're moving in the right direction, but I will also say it was significant to see there. Back to the issue of diversity that was present this past week, the question arises for me, what is it that causes each individual to become so unique from the other people around them? Are we somehow better than others who may not be in the same place as us? Even within families, we can have incredible diversity. What's the purpose or value of such diversity? I suggest that the answers to all of those questions can play a significant role in determining your story versus my story. A more important question, are some people predisposed to be godly than others? That seems like a silly question to ask. We believe that it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the reality is we look around us and there are some people that seem to be more experiential with God. 
they know him better and their behavior is different. It seems like they are completely different from others. Let me suggest to you that God's desire is that all of us be redeemed. But there are certain things in each of our lives where God has shown up and he has hopefully worked in us. I suggest to you that God has been speaking to many of us and had his hand upon us from the very beginning. In fact, I believe that God's anointing has been there from even before our birth. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9-11 through 11 tells of Samuel's life story. In three verses, it tells of his life story because from the very beginning, God had a plan for everything else that would take place. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, what you'll see is a mother who desperately desired to be a mother. She was married to a man named Elkanah. Elkanah actually had two wives, which apparently was somewhat common at that moment in time. One wife was able to bear many children But he had another wife named Hannah who was unable to bear any children. And as they went to the temple to pray, she prayed so passionately and so fervently, desiring so much to have children that the priest looked upon her and he thought, she's drunk. What in the world is she doing here? He actually begins to fuss at her. Put away your drunkenness. Listen to what she was actually praying. She wasn't drunk. This is what she prayed. It says, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery... And remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. What I want you to see here is, even before she has conceived a child, God already had a plan for that child. If we were to continue to read in the chapter, it tells us that she goes home and then she conceives this child. But God had a plan for him even before conception took place. Do you believe that God has a plan for you and your life? What about Moses? Exodus chapter 2 tells the story of his birth and his deliverance. How he was born to a, a Hebrew woman at a time when all of the Hebrew babies were being killed and God chose to deliver him by literally putting him in a basket and allowing him to be found by an Egyptian princess and then raised in an Egyptian home. God had his hand on Although the scriptures never clearly state that this his path was set prior to his birth, it doesn't take a genius to see that God's hand was involved with every aspect of his life, delivering him, developing him into the man that he would be, and then calling him out of Egypt and then bringing him back to Egypt, only to leave again, but this time with all of the people of God doesn't take a genius to figure out that from the very beginning, God had a plan for Moses' life. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
You see, God had a plan for you. When he created you, he created you just the way you are to accomplish very specific things that other people wouldn't be able to do. Long before you knew what that plan was, God was already working to make you into who you are today. His plan is to redeem you and to use you to change this world. It's always been that way. Well, there are other factors that come into play. First of all, we do have the anointing, the calling that is present, even from the moment that we are born or conceived, or even before then. But our family heritage also plays a role. You know, there are more than 80 verses throughout the scriptures that emphasize the value of and the expectation that faith be passed from one generation to another generation. Now, it also addresses the fact that sin itself will follow from one generation to another generation. So depending on the type of home you live in, you have probably either seen incredible godliness or incredible ungodliness. And the fact is, those are things that can be replicated and often are replicated in our homes. We are raised by a godly mother and father there is a good likelihood that we will walk in their footsteps. It's not a guarantee. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a proverb. That means it can happen. It is likely to happen, but it's not a guarantee. For some of us, we have not seen the most godly influences, and certainly that impacts the choices that we have made. Consider the words of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 3 through 5, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and he is celebrating the heritage that Timothy has. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And listen to this. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived... In your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. From one generation to another generation to another generation, their faith is being passed on. Please don't misunderstand. Your family may not be perfect, but your family has become God's tool to bring you to this point where you are today. And I want to encourage, likewise, parents, that you are becoming God's tool to bring your children to the point that they, too, can be world changers. You know, there's the one side of this. We look at the influence of our family and helping us to become who we've been. But what about the next generation that is watching us today? Will they see in us something that is worth replicating? Will they see a people that genuinely love God more than anything else that would be willing to sacrifice anything of ourselves simply to bring Him glory? It's important to recognize that our family heritage matters on both ends of it, the giving and the receiving. It matters. For some, we've come to this point not just because of our family heritage, not just because of a calling that was placed on us when we were children, but because of various personal experiences. The scriptures teach of many who came to find Jesus, many who sought 
different things. There were some who sought wisdom. There were some who sought information. There were some who sought maybe less godly things. Some of the Pharisees came to him just to trap him. They weren't looking for the good. But you know what most people came looking for? Something that was real. Something that others could not bring. Give you an example. You have many stories of lepers who would come to Jesus. And there's a story of 10 lepers that come on one occasion. Jesus is simply doing what Jesus does. He's out ministering. He's out talking to people. He's out loving on the community, doing everything he can to simply show the love of God. And a group of lepers come and they want to be healed. Interesting thing is we don't know the names of any of those 10 lepers. We know one of them will eventually come back and he'll say thanks. And the other nine never really, at least we're not told that they ever really come back. We're not told anything else about these individuals But it seems likely that these 10 individuals never would have come looking for Jesus if it wasn't for the fact that they had a need. You see, often it is our experiences, it is our brokenness that cause us to seek the Lord. The woman who had a continuous issue of blood, she sought Jesus because of her continuous issue of blood. You have individuals who were lame. And they sought Jesus. You have the four friends who bring their friend to Jesus, laying on a mat, and they lower him in in front of Jesus. It is likely that they never would have seen Jesus that day if not for the brokenness of their friend. You see, often it is in our brokenness and in our pain and our own personal experiences that we are drawn to seek the Lord above all else. I am sorry for some of the brokenness that you have had to go through in life. It is not fun. There is no question in my mind. None of us like to be broken. It hurts. But sometimes that's exactly what it takes for us to experience God and to know what he can do for us. Our experiences can be an incredible blessing even when it hurts. Another side of this is sometimes it is God's unexpected anointing that comes upon us. In case you hadn't noticed, I've looked at various scriptures for each of these. It's important to recognize that all of this is founded in God's word. A great example of one who received God's unexpected anointing would have been the Apostle Paul, because he wasn't always the Apostle Paul. He never expected to become one of the world's greatest missionaries. He expected greatness. He expected to accomplish many things, but he never expected to become one of the world's greatest missionaries. In fact, he set out to destroy those who would promote Christ as God. At that point, his name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus was one who breathed out threats against all those who were in the church. Yet God had other plans for Saul of Tarsus. While on his journey to Damascus, intending to persecute Christians, to have individuals arrested and even killed, Paul had what's referred to as his Damascus Road experience. God appears to him. He blinds him. God would eventually restore Paul's sight, Saul's sight, and he would become known as Paul. But more than that, God would redeem him. And he would grant him a new purpose in life. He would no longer stand against 
the God of all creation, the one who had redeemed all of humanity. But instead, he would stand as a witness for that same God. The very same people that he sought to persecute, he became one of them. It was an unexpected anointing that came upon him. I wonder how God has shown up in your life. Maybe it's not as dramatic as Paul's Damascus Damascus Road experience. Maybe you weren't riding on a horse and suddenly you're blinded by light and hear a loud voice speaking to you, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But maybe God has shown up and spoke to you in other ways. What are the times that God has spoken into your darkness? When you've been doing something that you knew was ungodly and suddenly you felt the presence of God and you knew the conviction of the Holy Spirit was there. Know that God desires that all of us would experience a Damascus Road experience. He desires to redeem us and to give us incredible purpose in life, to become those world changers. He wants you to be used in ways that you never could have imagined. All of those four things feed into one last aspect of determining, determining who we will be. It is our personal choice. You see, the reality is God speaks and he opens up opportunities, but at some point we must respond to the gift and the grace that he has extended to us. It all begins with him, but he's not going to force his gift upon you. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho who was faced with a significant choice. She could betray her own people Or she could put her hope in God and God's people. She chose wisely, resulting in salvation not only for her, but her entire family and her own place of importance in history as she becomes one of the descendants of Jesus Christ. Or consider the disciples. Each of the disciples had their own lives prior to their encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say they were completely insignificant, but I will say that we would not know who they were had they chosen different. There were many who were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were business owners. They were ordinary workers in the marketplace. Yet they were faced with a significant choice. They would either continue to do things the way they had always done them, or they could leave it all behind and follow Jesus Christ. One of the most beautiful stories from the Old Testament is a story where Elisha is called to go and follow Elijah. Elijah was perhaps the greatest prophet the people of Israel had ever known. Elisha is just an ordinary man. God had a great plan for his life. 1 Kings 19, verse 19 to 21 says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. 
Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I want you to understand what Elisha does in this moment. First of all, there's symbolism here when Elijah takes his very own cloak and he lays it upon Elisha. It's as if he is declaring that the same spirit that has rested upon me will now rest upon you. And I am inviting you to come and be a part of something bigger. But here we have Elisha, and Elisha apparently is a successful man. He's got his own business. Here he is, he's got 12 yoke of oxen, and he's out working in the field. Do I really want to give up all that I have? Immediately, Elisha chases after Elijah. He says, I want to go. I need to go back, and I just need to say goodbye to my mom and dad first. But as he goes back, did you catch what he does? He takes the, the yoke, all of the equipment that he had, all the plowing equipment, and he burns it. Then he has this great feast, taking the oxen that he had, slaughtering them, and cooking the meat and just giving it to everybody else. Now, first of all, I'm sure everybody else loved this because we got a nice meal out of it. But there's something else that's in play here. What Elisha is doing is he is closing the door to his past. By burning his plowing equipment, by allowing his oxen to be killed, to be eaten, he can never go back that direction. Because he is making the choice that from this moment forward, I will walk this direction. Know that each of us must make a choice as to what we will do with what God has given us. That choice is significant. Some of us will choose very, very well. Some of us will not. Know that I've picked people from Scripture that they made the right choice. It's because I'm a pastor. That's what we do. But there are many others in the Scriptures who did not make the right choice. And because of that, their lives became not only insignificant, but often they became a stumbling block to God and His work. Your choice does matter. Your story up until this point cannot be changed. The things that have happened, they have happened. They, they are a part of your story today. However, everything about you moving forward is still on the table. Know that God has a plan for you. In fact, he always has. And it's not that you will look and act just like me or anyone else here in this room. God has created you the way you are with all of your diversity and all of your unique characteristics. He has created you so that you could change this world. Maybe you're not going to be the next president of the United States. Maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe God simply wants you to change the world that is immediately around you. But God created you specifically for that purpose. 
but it won't happen without God's intervention and your surrendered choice. Listen, all of these factors come into play. God's always had a plan for your life. He's always been working to bring you to this point. The real question is what you will do with it. I want to challenge you today to surrender to God's purpose for your life. Maybe you need to begin today by seeking a Damascus Road experience. And what I mean by that is it is possible, even though you're here on a Sunday morning, it is possible that some of us may not have yet met Christ. To allow the forgiveness and the redemption that God is offering to you to take place. God is calling out to us and he's saying, I want you to be with me, not against me. Will you respond to God's grace? You came here for some of you out of obligation or seeking something other than a right relationship with God, yet God is calling you right now to be made right and to be made new. Will you allow him to change you? Or maybe today you need to allow God to turn your mourning into dancing. Maybe you've been so burdened by brokenness, things that have happened in your life, and it's been so easy for us to think, poor pitiful me. Can't believe God would allow these things to happen. How could I serve a God who would allow such suffering to take place? But maybe what God wants to do today is to turn your brokenness into something good. See, God's always planned to turn those things into good. He even tells us in his word that he causes all things to work together for the good of God and those who are called according to his purpose. The question is, will we allow that to take place? Some of us simply need to surrender our everything to him. Whatever that looks like, I'm going to open up the altar this morning. I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe God has been speaking to you. Maybe you need a Damascus Road experience. Maybe you just need to change your perspective. I believe God desires that. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to open up the altar this morning. Father, we come before you, and we are grateful for your grace. We're grateful that you love us so much that you would give us the opportunity for life, and I mean real life. Father, I pray today that you would help us to recognize your hand that has been at work in us and around us for so long. I recognize there are some today who may not know you, and I pray that you would speak to hearts right now. Father, I pray for truly a heart of surrender to take place. There are others in here today who are broken and they're going through difficult things and they've been almost becoming bitter because of some of the brokenness. Maybe it's because of their family or maybe it's because of a health issue or maybe something else has taken place. Uh, someone has betrayed them and they've looked at their brokenness and for whatever reason they have allowed that to identify them and I pray today that you would take that brokenness and you would bring peace and joy. As every head bowed and eye closed, I'm going to invite those, maybe today you are in one of those groups. and Maybe you would feel led to come and just to pray. I know that God can meet you there in your pew, but I also know that often God will use the altar as a place for us to come and simply surrender to him 
And often he has met, I know for me, I went to an altar back in 1990 and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, God changed everything in me. And maybe there's someone in here today who that would be you. As Derek plays music this morning, I'm just simply going to ask that you would allow God to minister to you. Do you need to come forward? Do you need to release some of the brokenness? Do you need to surrender to him? I invite you to come. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. We cannot say thank you enough. We thank you most of all for the forgiveness of sins that we have received. Help us now to choose daily to walk in a way that would honor that. Lord, I pray that you would allow all of the things that take place in our lives to be your instrument to continue to transform us into your likeness. I pray that you would help us to never become bitter because things don't happen the way we want them to happen. Help us to appreciate the things that do happen and the opportunities that do sit before us. And I pray that as we experience these things, that we would recognize that you are there working on our behalf. Lord, thank you for what you've already done. We look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Have your way in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is truly a blessing to be back in the United States, and there are many, many things that we missed while we were away, but I will also say that it was a blessing to go. So thank you for sending us and allowing us to be used in a different environment. Um, I invite you to come back Wednesday night if you can, and you'll hear a lot more about our trip, and you'll see pictures and all kinds of great stuff. So thank you for sending us. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, you have no idea how valuable the prayers were. I'll give you one example of that real quick. Um, I guess it was when, uh, maybe it was Thursday. Uh, we were finishing painting a roof. Uh, everybody there uses a tin roof. And me and one of the young guys from the church, his name is Chase, were up on the roof. We had already been doing it for about a day and a half, and it was nearing lunchtime, and it had begun to sprinkle, but we were relatively close to finishing. And we were called down from the roof because we wanted to uh, eat with everybody else, and we just we looked at each other, and we decided, nope, we're going to finish this because we're almost done. We came down and ate after we finished the, the roof, and the sky just opened up. For the next 10 hours, it rained, and we would never have been able to finish that roof on time if God hadn't held it off as long as he did. Your prayers made a difference. It's one simple example, but I know that it's true. So thank you very much. Thank you for being a part of our service this morning, and go in peace.